Alright, so everybody, welcome back to the Dragon's Library. Today, we are reviewing Night's Dragon's Finish Last. Yay! I love this book. Sorry, I'm, like, I, I want to talk about it, but I need to make something clear real quick. I love this book. I love the characters, I love the setting, and quite frankly, if Rachel Aaron decides to do more stuff in this world, I will be all for it. She's already done a spin-off series set in the same world as this book, and if she wants to do more there, I will always be there to buy uh, the book. Second, I, I have listened to the audiobook versions of this entire series. Um, it's on Audible. You can buy a physical copy. It's really weirdly formatted, like the margins are weird, but it's perfectly usable. Uh, but use the audiobook. The audiobook is amazing. Uh, and the voice actor, I think it's Rikos Adams, I believe, uh, he does a great job. Just fantastic job nailing every character, especially Bob. Uh, getting into characters, okay. So, with that out of the way, let's get into this review of Nice Dragons Finish Last. So, I'm trying to make these reviews a bit more structured, so here's how I'm going to be breaking this down. Uh, first of all, I'm going to give my uh, general impressions on the book, you know, what I think works in it, um, and try not to do too many spoilers. Then I'm going to do a basic overview of the plot. Uh, then I'm going to start guessing about what I like, and then I will try and go into the spoilers if possible. So let's see if we can actually keep on track today. <laughs> So, my overall thoughts on this book are that it has wonderful characters, has a fantastically interesting setting, um, and that it's a great intro into this really interesting and unique world that Rachel Aaron has created. Uh, the main thing that sets this book apart for me is the setting. I mean, I like the characters and all, but the setting is really interesting. See, it's basically a, this world had a fantasy world, but all the magic went away in a magical drought. Uh, and in 2030, meaning a few years from now, uh, since I'm recording this in 2021, maybe it's terrible. Yeah, let's not think about that. Let's not think about the future. Uh, so anyway, in 2030, uh, around that time anyway, I think, uh, there was the flood of magic and it all came rushing back into the world. And so suddenly dragons who had had to hide in their human forms, uh, nature spirits, and all sorts of other magical things came rushing back, including humans who could use magic, mages who make up, I believe it's a third of the population now at this point. The story itself takes place in 2090. And so what's really cool about the setting is that it's basically a fantasy world where all the knowledge was lost until a few years from now. And then it's like six decades, more, like seven decades from now is when the story is taking place. So all the technology is actually incredibly advanced stuff. It's mostly things that we're still trying to get the kinks out but a lot of it is integrated with magic. Like, they use magic as a power source. They use it for more efficient... They use it in their phones. Uh, there's a lot of army and equipment stuff that has to be run by mages. And non-humans can use magical items if they're created correctly. But mages are the ones... The big deal of human mages is that they are the only creatures in that world that can actually move magic. Uh, spirits are basically just giant bags of magic. And they can throw themselves around like you throw your arm. But they can't move any magic that's not part of themselves. Dragons have an internal fire of magic that they can push outward, but they can't use the magic that's flowing all around them. Humans are the only creatures in that world that can actually grab the magic that's just naturally flowing about and use it for things. That's what mages do. Um, there's more to it, but if I go into the sequels, I'll go into it there, because that's when they start getting into like, the concepts of how the magic works and everything. And it's not really hugely important for the first book. Those are just the big things you need to know. Um, anyway, the... Big thing is that dragons are one of the creatures that have been hiding. And so 
dragons were hiding their human form because they're more efficient. Without the magic around, they couldn't sustain their larger powers, uh, their larger, more powerful forms, and they also could not use most of their actually magical abilities. Like, their you know, internal fire and stuff like that was much harder to use, uh, and they required a lot more energy to just stay alive. So dragons went almost unnoticed. They faded into the background. And then they came rushing back. Uh, and the world was drastically changed. Cities got wiped off the map. Uh, China got entirely taken over by dragons, and tons of spirits basically wiped city wiped cities away and tried to rebuild their own kingdoms. Only one of the only one dragon nation, the Chinese Empire, survived, and then there was the uh, only spirit who managed to hold their territory, and that was Algonquin. Uh, she's for those of you who don't know, because this is a little obscure information. Algonquin refers to the giant lake region that the Great Lakes used to be. They used to be one massive lake. Um, but they eventually split over time into those five lakes we know now in North America. Algonquin is the spirit of those lakes. She's the magic that piled in that area and formed a spirit, a spirit of the land. Um, and so she, basically Detroit is a really polluted city and she did not like what she was, they were doing to her lakes. So she basically gathered up every speck of dirt that they, that had piled in her lakes over the years, all the things humans had thrown away and flooded it outward in a massive, destructive wave that literally wiped Detroit off the face of the map. Algonquin then declared the, the entire area hers and proceeded to, over time, build a new city. And since she's a nature spirit, she doesn't really give many laws. She has the basic, you know, don't murder, but it's hard to enforce that in some areas. Um, and there aren't really any restrictions aside from do not pollute the lakes and dragons will be killed on sight. This is the Detroit Free Zone or the DFC. And this, right there, is going to be the setting for basically most of Rachel Aaron's work uh, in this universe. This this city is kind of the point where she fixates a lot. And it's a lot of fun. It's, you know, the capital city where everything goes, where there are drugs in the vending machines, the lower floors, and technological marvelous cybernetic implants you can get without any restrictions. It, you know, it's a cyberpunk. It's a cyberpunk dystopia almost. But with magic and mages and nature spirits and dragons. Of course, the dragons aren't as open the DFZ because they'll be killed on sight. Uh, and there are a lot of human mages and spirits who will help make sure that happens. So, we, I, I've gone to the city setting and I just love it because it's this weird mesh of sci-fi and fantasy that works so well. She really nails it. Uh, things have changed a lot. Self-driving cars are like the big thing, like to the point where nobody actually really drives that much physically anymore. Uh, the, one of the main characters, Marcy, her car is like this beatable pickup truck. And the way they describe it as being really old is like, oh yeah, it still has an actual glass window instead of an augmented reality display. And the self-driving features just barely function most of the time. And it's like, oh, oh, so that, 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 that's, uh, that's really beat up and ancient by their standards. Uh, and, uh, the phones are all augmented reality phones. They latch onto the magic of the user and let you basically just have a phone that's just like a brick. It's just a computerized brick with a bit of magic circuitry embedded in it, and you can just wave your hands around Star Trek style. Uh, and there's all these little touches that show that this is a world that's progressed and advanced after, well, after what is implied in most later books to be a quite devastating return of magic. Like the magic, they don't hold back on showing that, yeah, the return of magic was really bad. It was pure chaos. I mean, it went from a normal everyday life from a decade from now to there are dragons flying around, entire nations are collapsing. Uh, and, and, and spirits are rising about out of our oceans and mountains to literally wipe cities off the map. 
Um, but again, this is a very distant time from that. It's not in that chaotic early period. It's much later. In fact, by this point, there are already entire college programs for magics. Uh, Marcy was originally in a thaumaturge uh, magic art. So between, she's the one, you know, she's starting made to like write symbols down and uses the, you know, alchemy-inspired stuff to do magic rather than throwing, like grabbing it out of the air and like throwing a fireball. She'll have, you know, bra- rune-covered bracelets that'll let her blast them with like a microwave, microwave ray. Um, and I just love all the little touches with her magic and the way she explains it. It's really cool. Uh, so that's why I like really like about the setting. I think it really sets her work apart, especially this particular thing. Uh, I really need to read more of her stuff, but I've just been so obsessed with this series, to be honest, uh, that I haven't. Because I feel like whenever I want to read more about her, I'll just reread the series. <laughs> uh, so, let's get to the main plot of this series, now, now that I've talked about the thing I love the most about it, uh, which is the setting and the fun characters. So, the main plot is that this story is about Julius and Marcy. And Julius is a dragon in the Heartstriker clan. They're the clan that lays claim to most of the, most of North and South America. Uh, cause the dragons have sort of divvied up the world into pseudo territories. Um, and they're the largest dragon clan in the world because their mother Bethesda, well that's her thing. Most dragons are pretty powerful, but they have a hard time giving birth to children. They mostly only do it once or twice in their immortal lives. Maybe a clutch of, like, five kids would be, you know, pretty average. But Bethesda's had, well, let's put it this way. She names each clutch with a certain letter so she won't forget. And Julius starts with a J. So, uh, yeah. That means Julius is her, in her, is one of her tenth sets of kids. She's had ten whole sets of kids. It's implied later on she has, like, over, like, almost over, like, a hundred. It's insane. Um, and that's, like, really impressive by dragon standards. And although a lot of the dragons berate her because she's pretty young, only, like, I think a thousand years, which is apparently really young by dragon standards, uh, to be running a clan like that, uh, she, you know, has a, basically a child soldier army, basically. No other clan can beat them in numbers, so they lay claim to a large portion of the territory. You find the most of this out in later books, but it's not really a spoiler or anything. Anyway, um, Julius is not really interested in his family's political grabbing and Basically, dragons are generally characterized as ruthless, manipulative, or, you know, brute force. They're either trying to seduce you or manipulate you for power and schemes to better themselves in their position, or they are uh, outright, you know, just going to take it from you, kill you, and leave you to suffer. If they won't, they won't steal from you, they'll just walk into your house and take it. They're a dragon. What are you going to do? They treat humans like, you know, possessions, that kind of thing. And Julius doesn't really care about any of that. He's mostly just concerned with surviving in a family where if you practice magic, you'd have to worry about your fi- uh, your siblings accidentally teleporting you, uh, banishing you to another realm of existence during a practice session. You know, totally accidentally. Uh, so he mostly spent his years holed up in his room, taking online classes until his mom found out he wasn't trying to get into politics for power schemes or become a famous uh, world-renowned doctor for all of the money and you know, authority. No, no, he was just taking random things that interested him. Uh, it's, it's actually kind of funny. I like Julius. I like him a lot. He's very, he, he's, he's a nice dragon. He's a nice guy. He's the kind of guy you would really want to have as a friend. He's awesome. Um, and he gets banished to the DFZ. His dragon form gets sealed. And he said he has one month to prove himself that he's worth something or his mother's going to kill him. Because Bethesda, the Heartstriker, is not exactly a loving mother in case that didn't come across. 
so he ends up having to take a job from his older brother, Ian, from the clutch above him. Um, and he wants him to find a, a sister of a, a sister of an associate in a rival dragon clan. He's hoping to, uh, seduce her and get her to join up with them so they can do dragon schemes and try and, you know, plot for more power in both their clans combined. And there's a lot more to their scheming, but it's in the second book, so I'm not going to get into it. So, well, it's really complicated. There's a lot to their plans, and they're actually both playing each other to a certain degree, but they know it, and they're both playing against Bethesda. It's really complicated. Um, basically... Ian, um, well, her name's Svenna, and Svenna can't, and Svenna is a really respected, really old dragon like and Svenna is try, trying to get back her sister, Katya, who keeps running away. Now, Katya's really flighty and might escape if Svenna goes after herself, but she would never suspect someone like Julius, so they decide to use him to catch her. It's later revealed his mom actually has more to this, and he's kind of a fall guy in case this all goes sideways, but at the time, he thinks it's just, you know, a job he has to do to help prove himself. Uh, along the way, he meets Marcy at a bar who notices the, cur- the seal placed on him to keep his dragon form locked up. And she's a curse breaker. Uh, her dad worked for a mob boss and um, originally just has a curse breaker, but eventually it was discovered Bigsby was having put curses on people so they could cure them for the money. His dad didn't, her dad didn't like that, um, got killed. Marcy stole something valuable from him and asked a Cosmolade. Uh, it's going to be important later. And... Uh, Bigsby sent goons after her. She fled to the DFZ, hoping to be a safe zone, a place where she could start again. And she's looking to make some money so she can get her new life up, up and running and try and further escape from this mob boss. Uh, Bigsby is being played by an unknown seer in the background, and Julius is being manipulated by his older brother, who is a famous dragon seer, Brohamir of the Heartstrikers, also known as Bob, who is hilarious. Like, seriously, if every scene with Bob is pure comedy gold, but also kind of intimidating. He's very relaxed in this, I am way more powerful than anyone else in this room, and I already know that none of you are going to bother to try and kill me. But if you don't remember that, remember I could kill you with a thought. Anyway, oh, I, I love him. He's adorable. He's just fantastic. Ugh. Seriously, he's so much fun, but way more trouble than he is possibly worth. <laughs> uh Anyway, so they end up going on an adventure, uh, trying to find Katya... Uh, they get trapped in a giant... They explore the depths of the DFZ sewers at one point, you know, get attacked by these uh, lamprey eels that have evolved with magic. Uh, they Ju- Julius's brother Justin tags along for a bit. And honestly, they're just so much fun. Like, they, the dynamic between Julius and Marcy is great. I've read a lot of stories where, like, all right, whatever, they're together or whatever. Like, but, like, they actually have really good chemistry together. Like, just as, you know, fellow characters in a story... And the romance is actually pretty good, mostly because it's subtle and kept in the background a lot of the time. There are scenes where it's like, oh yes, they're definitely shipping fodder right now. But it's like, I don't care. They're fun characters. I like both of them. So seeing them both act awkwardly around each other is fun. Uh, anyway. Oh, and for those of you wondering, Julius is actually a really young by Dragon Scanners. Like, really, really young. He's actually only like 20-something. 23, I think? 24? Something like that? He and his brother were some of the most recently hatched, uh, were the most recent clutch since Magic Returned. So, uh, that's one of the other reasons his mom hasn't already killed him is because, yeah, she hasn't had a lot of time to try yet. <laughs> In case you were wondering if she kept him around for a few hundred years. No, no, no. She, he's 24. <laughs> he's like a baby by their standards and they're like just throwing him to the wolves already because dragons don't take shit. 
Or at least that's the stereotype. That's what a lot of is, is the stereotype of it, because over the series it's revealed that a lot more dragons are a lot less uh, brutal than they'd like you to believe, but there's a certain cultural image they had to project. So yeah, that's basically covers what I love about the book, is that it just overall projects this idea of, hey, yeah, we're going to set up the stereotypes of what everything's like and what the main character, who's pretty young, thinks everything's like. But, you know, it's a bit more complex than that over underneath. Um, you can see Chelsea, the enforcer of the clan. Uh, you get to see Bob. He's always a riot, like I said. And you get to meet his younger brother, Justin, who is the giant meathead, I have the sword and I must swing it guy. Uh, and I, Justin can be really frustrating at times. But when I think that, I'm like, oh, right, Julia finds him really frustrating. But he also cares about him, because he's his brother, and he's always stood up for him. Uh, even though Julius is, like, the weakling in their clan, Justin's probably one of the reasons he hasn't died yet. So, you know. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm going to get into some spoilers now. If you want to just cut out and go read it, I've left the plot mostly intact, but, you know. So, the big twist at the end of all this is that Julius isn't supposed to succeed in finding Katya. If he does, bonus. But he's, his actual plan by his mother is to use him as an excuse for Ian to try and seduce Svenna away from the three sisters without um, him really being at risk of his own position failing if Svenna turns him down. Because if, it's, if he tries to woo her and it doesn't work, well, he can just say, well, obviously it was because Julius failed to find the sister like he promised. He ruined Ian's chances right there. And even if he does, they can always find a way to blame him for it. Maybe you have another task that Svenna needs done they can say he failed at. Uh, it's not too hard to whip up something. So that's what he realizes. He has a moment where he realizes his mother intends for him to basically be a fall guy, and that if Ian, Ian fails, which might actually happen, he's just dead through no fault of his own. Even if he's 100% succeeds, they will find a way to make it his fault. And that really hits him. It's this moment of, I knew my family was ruthless, but... This is going a bit too far. Actually, Chelsea, who popped up earlier uh, to warn Julius Way, has this whole moment where he's like, she calls him and he's like, I know you're probably thinking of doing something stupid. Before you act, remember, I am watching. I feel bad for you, but look, you're well, you shouldn't have been thrown into this mess, but you're here. And you represent the clan, and I will not have you die by Algonquin. So, take a deep breath, calm down, and find... Katya. And it's like, okay, so she's not she's not cruel. She doesn't like sending whelps into battle. She doesn't like young dragons being put through what she's done. And you know what? You can respect that. Chelsea's the protector of the clan. She's their enforcer. She enforces the rules, but that also means she lets people off time to time. She, you know, feels for the younger ones. And it's the first hint we get there's a little more to a lot of the so-called ruthless dragons than, they, than they're originally shown. <clears throat> so, yeah. Um, Julius and him have to deal with the fact that Svenna's sister Estella, one of the other three dragon seers, along with Rohimir of the Heartstrikers, is trying to get a hold of Marcy's Cosmolave. Originally, Bigsby was supposed to give it to her, but Marcy stole it. She's been manipulating events, but Rohimir's also manipulating the future, and seer battles are confusing. And you have to wonder just how many steps ahead they were of you all, and yes, yeah, a tip for the future of basically everything. If a seer does anything, interacts with you in any way, assume they have, at the very least, set up the next few months of your life to play out a certain way. <laughs> because they have, probably. 
Uh, the whole thing of Dragon Seers, and they see the threat of possibilities. They see, ev- well, okay, you know what, I'll, I'll get into that in no time. Just know that they can see the future, and they influence, and they're very feared even by dragon standards. Although a lot of dragons who don't interact with them regularly just think they're mad or insane. Uh, they're not. They're really dangerous. So, Estella is trying to compete with Bob to get a hold of Cosmoly. And she succeeds. Uh, she lures them by kidnapping Katya and gets Julius and Marcy and Justin and Bob into this pit with these, like, magic-eating, mutated uh, wildlife creatures that are hanging over it. It's supposed to be the pit where Algonquin awoke, and it's, like, really tainted evil. You know, dark things have happened here, so the land is, like, cursed kind of magic. And so, um, the Cosmolave ends up getting lost in the rubble, and one of the last scenes is Estella taking it, and... Okay, I should probably explain what the Cosmolave does and why it's important. So it's basically just a setup, but the whole thing is the Cosmolave is a human invention that lets you uh, find your way through the multiverse. Uh, it shows the direction it, the, the direction you need to open gateways in order to reach other planes. It's basically like a compass to other planes of reality. Uh, and apparently they... And, and there's more to it. If we need to talk about it, we'll talk in the sequel. Uh, anyway, it's a very valuable ancient relic, one of the only ones left intact from the old days of magic. Uh, and Estella wanted it. And she goes to this mysterious plane and vanishes. And everything kind of works out. Uh, Julius gets a payment from Ian. He gets a new building. He and Marcy decide to start a magic pest control business after the whole they've been through. And his mother decides not to kill him this week. So he's got, you know, a month to show that he can be at least competent on his own. Uh, Svenna decides to stay around with Ian and they start the, a relationship. And everything's kind of ended happily, but we also know Estella, the other dragon seer, is out there some other plane of reality, and she's plotting something. Uh, she feels like she's been betrayed by her sister. She feels like she's lost everything. And apparently she and Bob have been in this game for a long time against each other. And, well, she's been losing. So, yeah, that's the, sequ- that's the setup for the sequel. Such a great setup. Anyway, I love Nice Dragon Finish Last. I think it's a great book. I think the characters are all a lot of fun. They're very distinct. Uh, Julius is just the best. Like, I, I love him. He's it's a wonderful character. Marcy is the action girl badass, who's also the magic-savvy and intelligent one. Uh, although Julius isn't, like, an idiot or anything like that, because he's apparently has, like, five degrees, but they're all in, like, weird things. Like, he's an ecologist, and so he, he actually identifies the lampreys, because he has a, he has a, uh, took a class on the native, spe- native and invasive species in the Great Lakes region. Uh, and Justin, you guys, like, yeah, he has all these degrees, and, like, all these uses to talk it. And the last one is, like, uh, Accounting, and it's like, accounting is it useless? It is if you don't have any accounts to manage. Because, <laughs> again, he doesn't really try to, you know, get any money or really a life outside of hiding from his family in his room all the time. And this is, you know, him actually finding a place for himself in the world. Uh, and he really does come through in the end. I really like his progression of slowly coming out, you know, learning to... Just because he do- doesn't do things the way most dragons in his family does doesn't mean he also can't do things successfully doesn't mean he can't uh, be good at other things. And it's actually end up, and, you know, because he's the nice dragon, it's those kinder actions that end up causing others to help him later on when they need it. Um, even Justin, <laughs> who would rather die than admit it. So, yeah. Hope you guys like this. Uh, please find this if you can. It's not at a lot of places, but you can find it at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and also on Audible. I highly recommend the Audible version, though. It's really good. So next week, the reviews are going to be my double Netflix review. Uh, there's a movie and a show on Netflix that I want to review, so 
the show is Castlevania. Uh, season four is coming out, so I decided, hey, why don't I just review the whole series? Uh, because, you know, trying to review four seasons at once should be a fun challenge. <laughs> I don't think these things through, sorry. Uh, and Mitchell, and Mitchell's versus the machines. The Mitchell's versus the machines. So, it's a new, uh, anime movie by Sony that came out on Netflix recently. So I'm gonna be doing that one on, uh, Tuesday, and I will be doing the Castlevania review on Friday, because I think it'll give me more time to actually sort through my thoughts on it. Because, like I said, I'm going to try and review the whole series. Uh, might be a bad idea, but you know what? We'll see how it goes. And if not, I can always just, like, I don't know, decide to review just one season and then maybe come back and do the others later. Yeah, that, that'll totally work out well. Let's, let's see, we'll see what happens. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to the Dragon's Library. See you next time. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and thank you for listening to the Dragon's Library. Please, subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. The Dragon's Library releases new episodes Tuesday and Friday each week, and you can follow us on Twitter at dragon underscore library 2. If you want to suggest an episode topic, my email is in the description below. And as always, thank you so much for all your support.